Great to have you with us this morning. I see some faces of students that uh, are home for the Christmas uh, uh, break and will return to more rigorous uh, study. Normally, uh, I, I know John Piper, when he was preaching, he would do this the first uh, Sunday of each year, he would, he would preach on prayer and try and emphasize that. I'm a plotter, so I just, I just keep on going generally on what I'm preaching on. And so normally I would just pick up again. Um, I was, I, often I didn't even stop for, for Christmas. I would just, whatever theme I was preaching on, someone challenged me and said, can't, can't you even give a, a, a sermon on Christmas? I said, well, that's appropriate. So Dylan did that, and then I was going to return to Matthew and pick up in chapter 6. This topic has been burning on my heart. And so I want to preach on it. I thought I would do one sermon. <laughs> and then I looked at how much material there is on Hezekiah. You could actually do about five or six sermons. And, um, but I'm going to do two, Lord willing. We'll see how far we can get this morning with the Lord's, with the Lord's table. Um, finishing well, how many... How many funerals? I've, I know I've done more funerals than I have done weddings through the years of ministry. Jerry probably the same. Jerry probably has done more funerals for unbelievers than, than I have. I've, I've done some. Um, um, my brother-in-law, uh, Ron, is, is a pastor, and he's here uh, from Ohio, and he was telling me how many funerals he has just done recently. He even had a a couple in his church that was murdered, and uh, so you have you have two two coffins down front at the same time. As I get older, I think more about finishing well. And I look at Scripture, and I see those who haven't finished well. They had a great start, but they didn't finish well. So that's a great concern of mine. Two millennial, millennia earlier, the Roman emperor Marcus Aurelius pronounced what is called that perfection of character is this. He said, perfection of character is to live each day as if it were your last, without frenzy, without apathy, without pretense. Now, now there's some wisdom to live each day as if it's your last, but his advice is a little short-circuited. Um, It's been uh, 
A dozen years since legendary Apple Incorporated co-founder Stephen Jobs passed away at only 56 after battling with pancreatic cancer. Here's an excerpt from a commencement speech that he gave uh, a few years uh, before he came down with pancreatic cancer, he said. When I was 17, I read a quote that went something like this. If you live each day as if it were your last, someday you'll almost certainly be right. It made an impression on me, and since then, for the past 33 years, I've looked in the mirror every morning and asked myself, if today were the last day of my life, would I want to do what I'm about to do today? He continues, remembering that you're going to die is the best way I know to avoid the trap of thinking you have something to lose. You're already naked. There's no reason not to follow your heart. No one wants to die, even people who want to go to heaven, which wasn't his theology, don't want to die uh, to get there. And yet death is the destination we all share. No one has ever escaped it. And from his standpoint, um, death is very likely the single best invention of life. No, death is, is part of the curse. It's part of the curse, and it hasn't been lifted yet. The sting has been taken out of death for believers. He writes, it clears out the old to make way for the new. And so he's writing to this graduating class, and he says, right now the new is you, but someday, not too long from now, you'll gradually become the old and cleared away. Sorry to be so dramatic, but it's quite true. Now, I want to give better advice than that. It's found at the end of Koheleth, which is the Hebrew name for Ecclesiastes, the preacher. I'm taking that Solomon wrote this. This was the last thing that Solomon had to write, probably indicating his uh, repentance after his terrible idolatry recorded in 1 Kings 11. Let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter. Fear God and keep His commandments. This is man's all. God will bring every work into judgment, including every single secret thing, whether good or evil. It's not just living each day that this may be your last, you're going to have to stand before the living God. And there is only one, and He's a holy God. And if you appear before Him without being clothed in the righteousness of Jesus Christ, you will suffer an eternal torment that I can't fathom, even reading the metaphors in the Bible. And if we're, we're believers, everything that we do, we are responsible before Him to do it for the glory of God. If you're here apart from Jesus Christ, this may be your last day. It may be. The only breath that we're assured of is the one we're currently taking. But in the providence of God, as I get older, 
somehow that seems to, to bear weight on my heart even more. And so I want to do a two-week series here on finishing well lessons from the life of King Hezekiah, one of the, one of the great examples of a godly king in the Old Testament. Uh, he stumbled uh, a few times like most of us do, but he didn't finish that well. He did where we will arrive, what I call kicking the can down the road. After he sinned, his, his well, when he learned that judgment was coming, but it wasn't going to happen upon the nation during his lifetime, he said, oh, good, oh, good. No, we want, we want to think about the next generation. We have a responsibility to try and plan. God expects us to plan. He expects us to teach. The normal pattern is it starts in the family. But even then, the best shepherding in the world cannot produce regeneration. God uses good shepherding, but only God, only God can bring true regeneration to the heart. So in finishing well... I want, to, I want to start in with the monarchy, and then you, you answer the question as we work through here. Did this person finish well, and how do I learn from that? So I'm going to start with, with King Saul. Um, there were flashes of hope for a good king at the start, but he ends in a bad king who dies in dishonor. Some think King Saul was uh, a true believer. I got serious reservations about that when I contrast his life with that of David, but my opinion doesn't count. God is the one who's, who, who counts on that regard. Saul, 1 Samuel chapter 9 through 31, there's 23 chapters. Two, two chapters in First Chronicles 9 and 10. Twenty-five chapters in script of Scripture are devoted to King Saul. We first read about him in 1 Samuel 9, 2. I got to pause. I didn't pray. So I to, Lord. We don't know where the finish line is. We should be longing for your coming. We should be longing, even so, come, Lord Jesus. You know the heart of every person present this morning? Work in grace and mercy. Thank you for a throne of mercy and grace. So work in the heart and life of each person present this morning, including mine, as only you don't look on the externals, you look, you look on the heart. Give us hearts that love our God, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. 1 Samuel 9, 2 tells us about Saul ben Kish, Saul the son of Kish. He was, he was tov, he was, he, he was good. 
And when you use that of a man, you don't say he, he was good looking. You, you say he was handsome when it was describing his appearance. As a matter of fact, it fleshes that out. There was not a man among the people of Israel more tow, more handsome than Saul. From his shoulders upward, he was taller than any of the people of Israel. And God used Saul to deliver his people from the Philistines on a number of occasions, but his life ended in moral and physical disaster. As you follow through the life of Saul, you see increasingly his the, the heart will manifest itself. Your heart will reveal itself. And we see... Uh, he wasn't a man of the book. He didn't do Deuteronomy 17. He went, when God wouldn't answer his prayers, what did he do? He, 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 I'm going to go to the medium to, to often translate which. It, it's a sorceress over there at Endor. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get an answer from God. Well, he did get an answer pretty surprising to him. It was pretty shocking. And uh, in battle with the Philistines up there on Mount Gilboa where some of us have stood, I thought about that, the, the Philistines coming upon him. He got his faithful son Jonathan with him, and he, he, he tells his, his sword bearer, thrust me through let, lest they come upon me and... and no, the <laughs> sword bearer is not going to do that. He'd be responsible. So he took his own sword and he, and he leaned on it and he thrust himself through. And what did the Philistines do when they found him? They stripped him of all his armor. They cut off his head. They took his corpse along with his faithful sons, Jonathan and his other son, and they took him there. Uh, and to uh, Beit Shean, some of you have stood on that that tell where that took place, and they and they put the corpses of the bodies there on on the wall of one of the temples of their gods, Ashtaroth. And so, First Chronicles ten, thirteen, and fourteen gives us a sober account of the end of Saul. So Saul died for his breach of faith. He broke faith with the Lord in that he did not keep the command of the Lord and also consulted a medium seeking guidance. Therefore, the Lord put him to death. I thought he committed suicide. He did, but the Lord was sovereign over all those details. It says the Lord put him to death and turned the kingdom over to David, the son of of Jesse. Wow. Maybe, maybe we'll have a better king in King David. We're told that David was a man after God's own heart. Sixty-six chapters of Scripture are devoted to the life of David. And for almost after, after Samuel anointed him, he's on the run for if I understand the chronology right, for at least a decade before he became king, not only in name. 
David, the youngest son of Jesse, anointed by Samuel. It says he was ruddy, mean red, something that he, he was a redhead, I don't know, um, or was that his complexion? His eyes were, were Yaffa, Hebrew, beautiful eyes. I, I don't know um, what, what necessarily his beautiful eyes were. And he also, like Saul, it says he was, he was tov, he was good, he was handsome in, a, in appearance, but his beauty was not skin deep. Well, he was a man after God's own heart. But he didn't guard his heart one evening when he stood up there on the temple and he looked down and, and saw you could see out there on those rooftops. And he watched Bathsheba bathing and he inquired of her and he came and even when he found out she was a married woman, he, he slept with her. Adultery and murder stained his life. But Psalm 51 reveals why David was a man after God's own heart. His deep repentance and anguish over his sin. I, I started my pattern of reading changes, but with the, with the new year, I, I do. Two in the Old Testament, I just read through sequentially, and I start in Matthew and read one in the New Testament. And I just read the genealogy of Matthew chapter 1, and it stuck out to me. David was the father of Solomon by the wife of Uriah. Oh, our sins are so many. But his mercy is more. What a great song that, that has been written. What love could remember? No wrongs we have done. Omniscient, all-knowing, he counts not their sum. Thrown into a sea without bottom or shore. Our sins, they are many. His mercy is more. Thank you, Lord, for your mercy. And none of us here are, are throwing rocks if we, if we understand our own heart that we need mercy and we need grace. And, and really, I'm, I'm encouraged when I come down to the end of, of David's life. I don't think he really regained uh, the stature that he had before that event. Um, Psalm 78 says this, looking back on the life of David as a whole. God chose David his servant, took him from the sheepfolds, from following the ewes that had young, he brought him to shepherd Jacob his people and Israel his inheritance. So he shepherded them according to the integrity of his heart and guided them by the skillfulness of his hand. So even with that dark blot, when you look at his life as a whole, integrity of heart and skillfulness of hands. I pray that for myself. I pray that for you. Oh, God, give us integrity of heart. Heart and hand. In 2 Samuel 7, we find the Davidic covenant. And then uh, there's going to be a Davidic, a Davidic king, a greater David, whose throne of his kingdom will be forever. And in the later prophets, he'll reign in righteousness. 
the righteous servant will justify many and bear their iniquities, Isaiah 53.10. And so we come to Jedidiah, the one beloved by God, but we know him uh, as Solomon, a man, a man of peace. Well, maybe Solomon will fare better in his lifetime. Wow, he, he began superbly well. You know what 1 Kings 3 says about Solomon? He loved God with all his heart. Remember his request to the Lord? No. The Lord appeared to him, asked what you want. He says, well, it's not for long life. It's not for uh, victory over my enemies. Lord, I'm, I'm, I'm like a little child. i got to lead all these people. Would, would you give me an understanding heart to govern God's people and to discern the difference between right and wrong? What a... And, and immediately we see the... The how God blessed him. Remember, the, the two women came and he's trying to decide whose baby that is. He says, okay, get out a sword. I'll whack, her, whack that baby in two. And the real mother said, oh, no, no. Just give him to, and he goes, okay, that's the real mother. And we just follow. What a, he, uh, he seems to have almost a stellar record, except he keeps adding wives. And then we come to chapter 10. And then we find out, no, Solomon, you, you are the wisest of the kings, but oh, I can't hardly read that chapter without tears. Not Solomon. Yes, it was Solomon. He went after Ashtoreth, the goddess of the Sidonians, and Milcom, the abomination of the Ammonites. Solomon did evil in the sight of the Lord, and he didn't fully follow the Lord as did his father David. And Solomon built a high place for Chemosh, the abomination of Moab, on the hill east of Jerusalem. For Molech, the abomination. Of, you know what they did with Molech? They sacrificed children. He loved God, but he didn't finish well. He did likewise for all his foreign wives who burned incense and sacrificed to their God. So God said to Solomon, because of what you've done, I'm going to tear your kingdom from you, and I'm going to give it to your servant Jeroboam, and I'm going to keep the tribe of Judah and Jerusalem for the sake of David your father and for this, my sake of Jerusalem whom I have chosen. And you know what? We don't, we don't read that Solomon repented of that. You know what he did? He tried to kill Jeroboam and short-circuit what God has said. He didn't finish well. Now, Ecclesiastes, I take it, may be his written record of returning to the Lord there, fear God, and keep his commandments. Where is that Davidic king who will rule in righteousness? We're still looking at him after David... He failed. Solomon, he failed. And then we come to the list of, of kings. Thank you, Paul, for reminding, walking us through that and walk through the Old, Old Testament. So now, if, if you were here, um, 
Remember the division in 931? And Rehoboam, Solomon's son. So you have two tribes, Jerusalem down there, and then you have Jeroboam the first, and he takes over, and Ahijah the Shilonite came to him and said, if you'll obey God, God will bless you. And he goes, well, that's not going to work. He said, all my people are going to go down there to Jerusalem, so we're going to have anybody can be a priest. And from um, way up here, all the way from Dan to Bethel, we'll, you know, we'll set up counter places for worship. Um, my good friend Tom is in here. I still remember when we stood there and on that remains up there at Tel Dan, and they found bones from animals down there where sacrifice was, and, and Tom bent over like a bull, and I took a, took a picture of him and where Jeroboam's altar was and sacrificed. What a disaster. What an absolute moral disaster. Not a single king in the north did what was right. Followed his pattern, and it, and it just got worse up in, in the north. Then we come to Judah. Well, were there any good kings in Judah? I don't have them all listed there. I couldn't get them all on there. But you see uh, the ones I highlighted in yellow, there were eight good kings or some sort of a good king. Um, some have some qualifications to them. Um, but I, I've highlighted in red two kings in particular, Ahaz and Hezekiah. And in my opinion, Hezekiah, You have Yahweh on the, the Hezekiah, uh, that's that name. And Hazak means to be, it's a word for strength in Hebrew. So Hezekiah had a great name. Um, God strengthens. And he got it from an ungodly father. Now, I don't know, we're told his mother's name. I don't know if she was influential uh, there, but... Um, when you come down to the kings of Israel at the end, there's only one dynasty in Judah. It's the Davidic dynasty, and we're looking for where is the king there. But when you look at the kings of Israel, you look at the end, um, Zechariah, not the prophet, six months, he was evil, he was murdered. Shalom, one month, evil, he was murdered. Menachem, ten years, Evil, natural death. Pekahiah, two years, evil, he was murdered. Pekah, 20 years, evil, he was murdered. Hosea, nine years, evil, in, in imprisonment. The way of the transgressor is hard. It, it's hard. And you know what? To whom much is given, much is required. You're, you're a king in Israel. You, you have a great responsibility. So... Let's, let's look at his father, who reigned from 732 to 715. And I want to start in 2 Chronicles chapter 28, and then we'll flow right into Hezekiah and get as far as I can in about 12 minutes and pick up there again, uh, Lord willing, next week. So if you turn over to 
Second Chronicles. We, we have to navigate three books here, uh, Second Chronicles, Second Kings, and then Isaiah has a very uh, a large section beginning in chapter 36 that deals with the invasion of the Syrians. So um, Ahaz, and when, when he was alive, the Assyrians were the dominant nation. I mean, you don't want to mess with them. Tiglath-Pileser, Shalmaneser V, Sargon II, and then who particularly uh, afflicts uh, Hezekiah, Sennacherib. But we, we start here, so we're, we're starting with, with his father. What kind of what kind of parenting, what kind of culture did he come from? Was, was God honored? And we see that in about Ahaz. He's 20 years old and he began to reign. And he, lived for, he reigned for 16 years. But here's the thing. He did not do what was right in the eyes of Yahweh as his father had done, but he walked in the ways of the kings of Israel. Every president... Every vice president, every governor, every mayor is not there by chance. God is sovereign over where they're at, but they also have a responsibility. Now, we are not the church, is not the nation of Israel. We're, we're a people scattered throughout all kind of, of nations and, and governments, but every governing ruler is responsible to act in Romans 13. And when I think about Ahaz, I think about our nation eh, as well. Um, how uh, decadent, decadent we, we have become in rebellion against God. But it's not supposed to be so in the church. So he didn't do what was right in the eyes of the Lord. And that's who counts the Lord as his father David had done. He walked in the ways of the kings of Israel. He made metal images for the Baals. He made offerings in the valley of the son of Hinnom. And he burned his sons as an offering. And in the providence of God, Hezekiah didn't get burned up. So what happens? Verse 5, The, the Lord his God gave him in the hand of the king of Syria, who defeated him, took captive a great number of his people. Fast-forwarding to verse 16. So, so now he, he's getting subjected. He, he's getting um, decimated by other nations. And so what's he do? Verse 16. At that time, King Ahaz sent to the king of Assyria for help. Seriously? Um, how's that going to work out? Um, Assyrians are maybe terrorists on steroids. So I asked the question, you're going you're gonna to trust the terrorist? Um, some in our government think you can. Um, I, I don't, I, I'm not trusting uh, an Assyrian. For the Edomites, here's the problem. The Edomites had again invaded and defeated Judah and carried away captives. And, uh, and the Lord, verse 19, had humbled Judah because of Ahaz, king of Israel, for he had made Judah act sinfully. 
Tiglath-Pileser, king of Syria, came against him and afflicted him, in, him instead of strengthened him. Well, we ought to learn a lesson here. You go, you go to a terrorist like Assyria, and you pay him money, and they take the money out of the treasury of the Lord, and you give it to him, and he goes, thank you, but I'm going to come womp on you anyway. If you don't know what womp is, it means, you know. Then Ahaz took a portion from the house of the Lord and the house of the king and of the princes, gave tribute to the king of Syria, and that didn't help him. Ahaz, why, why don't you look to the Lord? You know, sin, rejection of God, and sin darkens your heart. It darkens your understanding. You do foolish things. Look, look at the next thing he does. In the time of his distress, I mean, now he's in a jam, he became more faithless to the Lord. And it's very emphatic here in Hebrew. This man, this King Ahaz, it's like, can you believe it? Can you believe it? So he sacrifices to the gods of Damascus that had defeated him. Well, maybe, maybe they'll help me. I will sacrifice to them. But they were the ruin of him. And all Israel. Verse 27, Ahaz slept with his fathers. They buried him in the city in Jerusalem. They didn't bring him into the tombs of the kings of Israel, and Hezekiah's son reigned in his place. So I, I, I asked the question, and I don't have time. I'm just going to have to flip down through these. The important kings of Assyria, we're going to be looking at uh, mainly uh, Sennacherib, here in the text, there's the Assyrian Empire, um, uh, massive, uh, going to the British Museum. Uh, as long as my legs could hold me up, I could walk through that thing. Whoa, what boy? When the sun never sets on the British Empire, you go, you go there. Wow, the collection of things that they have. There's Sargon II. There, there's Sennacherib. Seen is the moon god. So Hezekiah, Yahweh strengthens, but he's trusting uh, the moon god. He's the one that moved the Assyrian capital to Nineveh. You know what they found? The walls were 100 feet high. There was a moat 150 feet wide and 60 feet deep. And so uh, we'll, we'll come to that in the text that he fell from within. Two of his sons assassinated him while he was worshiping in the temple of Nisroch, his God. Be very careful about blaspheming the true God of, of Israel. Um, so uh, what, what should we expect from the son of a wicked father. What will Hezekiah do? As we follow down through the kings, we often find that uh, a son does even more wickedness than his father. I read this. Why me, Lord? Why did you save me? Why didn't I follow in the path of my wicked father as a drunk, a womanizer, who beat my mother. I don't know. All I can say is grace and mercy and thank you. The normal pattern is we, Abraham, here's what you're supposed to do. You're supposed to 
command, you come to Psalm 78 as well. You come down to the New Testament. It starts with the family. It starts with men in the home. Godly compliments in, in their wives. But some of us, aren't we thankful? Aren't we thankful that we're not doomed to a Christless eternity because we didn't have that background? Well, here's one. What will Hezekiah do? Did he know Deuteronomy 17 regarding the the king's priorities. Let me just review those with you. Remember what the greatest priority for... This is before there is even kings, Deuteronomy says. When the king sits on the throne of his kingdom, he shall write for himself a copy. The word is a mishnah, an exact double copy of the law, the one on a scroll from the one before the priest. He's to write it, handwritten copy. And what's he supposed to do? He's supposed to read it. How often? All the days of his life. Why? Because he has nothing else to do? Know that he may learn to fear the Lord his God and be careful to observe, to keep all the words of his law and these statutes. Otherwise, his heart's going to be lifted up and go, hey, man, you've got the right person here for the king, and he's going to become arrogant. No, he's supposed to do it so they won't turn aside from the commandments neither to the right nor to the left, and that's how he's going to be a blessing to the nation. So I, I wonder, with that kind of a father, where, did he know this? Well, I mean, he prophesied during Isaiah. Maybe the, and, uh, but, but, but just look, what, what encouraging. Hezekiah 29.1, Hezekiah began to reign when he was 25 years old. He reigned 29 years in Jerusalem. His mother's name was Abijah, the daughter of Zechariah. And here it is. He did what was right in the eyes of Yahweh, according to all that his father had done. Then, then we have, you know, his father, if we look back in 28.24, his father even shut up the doors of the house of Yahweh so no one could come in. And what's he do? He opened it. Now, I'm going to have to end here, so I want you to flip over to 2 Kings chapter 17, and I'll, I'll, I'll somehow wrap this up uh, this morning. Actually, 2 Kings chapter 18. This is, uh, some of you are familiar with Robert Murray uh, McShane. Um, he went home to be with the Lord at the age of 29, just shortly before he turned 30. My people's greatest need, he said, is my personal holiness. What a man is upon his knees, that he is and no more. Your own soul is your first and greatest care. And it's absolutely right. That's Scripture, Proverbs 4.23. Above all else, guard your own heart. So if you are not reading the Scriptures, start. That's how you guard your heart. You have to saturate it with Scripture. And then you have to pray, Lord, take this Scripture and make it real in my life, I wish I would have learned that sooner than I did. But I'm thankful I, I have. So when, when I think about personal holiness, 
That's what I think of when I read this passage, 2 Kings 18. Can anything good come out of a man who had an ungodly father? Well, here it is. In the third year of Hosea, son of Elah, king of Israel, Hezekiah, the son of Ahaz, king of Judah, began to reign. He's 21 years old. He reigned 29 years, so that means he died at age 54. His mother's name was Abi, the daughter of Zechariah. Now watch this. He did what was right in the eyes of Yahweh according to all that David, his father, has done. And here's why I think the text makes him the greatest king in Israel after David, even greater than Josiah, because it says, verse 5, look at the verbs. He trusted in the Lord, the God of Israel, so that there was none like him among all the kings of Judah after him, nor among those who were before him. Wow, what a remarkable testimony. He trusted and watch this, he held fast to the Lord. That's, that's the verb dabak when Genesis 2.24. What is a couple supposed to do when they get married? They leave father and mother and they cleave to one another, stick like glue to one another. Well, there is even a higher priority than cleaving in your marriage. It's cleaving to God. And it says, that's what he did. He held fast. He stuck like glue to Yahweh. And, on the, and he didn't depart, azav, forsake from following. But he kept the commandments that the Lord commanded. And the Lord was with him. Wherever he went, he prospered. And then we have this statement. Whew, he rebelled against the king of Assyria and would not serve him. So that's where we'll pick up, Lord willing, next week and, and how that fleshes out and, and uh, the severe testing that came upon him and how he went to the prophet Isaiah. But let me, let me flip down here to finishing well. You want to know how you finish well? This may be the last day of your life. I'm, I'm aware in the providence of God as I've gotten older Younger people are probably going to live longer, but there's no guarantee that you will. So you want to take this seriously. Where is this greater son of David? It's not going to be Hezekiah either. Gabriel to Mary, behold, you'll conceive in your womb, you'll bring forth a son, you'll call his name Jesus, he'll be great, he'll be called the son of the highest, the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever and of his kingdom there will be no end. Stephen Jobs, he now knows the truth, but he only had a partial. Live each day as if you're going to die. No, that's not the complete picture. Live each day that you're going to have to stand before the living God. And if you don't know the King of kings and Lord of lords, you're in trouble for eternity. Jesus preached the gospel of the kingdom of God. Repent and believe in the gospel. I submit to you the thief on the cross finished well. He, he, got, he was a latecomer into the kingdom, but he finished well. Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Jesus said, assuredly, I say to you, today you'll be with me in paradise. How do you finish well? You walk by faith. You know why that metaphor, walk, is used for living? Because it's one day, one step, 
at a time. You get up in the morning and you say, I'm going to live for the glory of God this day. And when difficulties come into my life and they reveal the condition of my heart, I don't like these circumstances, Lord. And then I have to repent over and over and say, Lord, you're the sovereign one. This too was for my good and for your glory. And you live each moment what the Reformers called that Latin expression, quorum deo, in the, in the presence of God. And let me finish here. Encouragement from the life of Paul. We long for not death. We long to be in his presence. We long for his return. We long for righteousness to dwell upon earth. What do you have to say, Paul? I fought the good fight. I finished the race. I've kept the faith. There is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give to me on that day. And here it is. And not to me only, but also to all who have loved his appearing. Love is appearing. We're going to partake of the Lord's table.